Since the day she gave me that coveted final rose, my wife, Trista Sutter, has made me a better person. If she can get me to know better, to do better, and to just all around be better, then I'm sure she can do it for you too. You're listening to Better Etc. with my wife and your host, Trista Sutter. Hey everybody, this is Trista and you're listening to episode number 17 of the Better Etc. podcast. Dr. Timothy Yen is my guest today. He is a clinical psychologist. He was a mental health staff sergeant in the U.S. Army. And now he's an author, and he came to talk to me all about his book. It's called Choose Better, the Optimal Decision-Making Framework. He's a speaker, he's a father, he's a seminar facilitator, and today he's my guest. So I'm so excited to welcome him to talk all about how to make better decisions. I don't know about you, but I'm so indecisive sometimes, and I really wanted to learn from him how to be better at making decisions. So we talk about how he wrote the book for two different kinds of people. We talk about those types of people, so hopefully you'll relate to one of them, and you can actually bounce back and forth between those people, which is what I do all the time. We talk about the framework that he created. There are four pillars within his framework, and then how courage plays into that framework and how that framework can help all of us make better decisions. Like how many decisions do we make in our life every day? I feel like I make hundreds, if not thousands, whether it's what to wear, what to eat, when to leave the house, what to get someone for their birthday, where do we go on vacation? So many decisions. And this framework allows us to be able to make those decisions in a more conscious way so that we are truly thinking things through, but then the more we use the framework, the easier it becomes to use the framework and the easier it becomes to make decisions. So I really hope that you'll continue to tune in to my conversation with Dr. Yen and listen in on how we can all be better at making decisions. As always, if you could head to wherever you're listening to your podcast, hit the subscribe button, and then give us a five stars and a comment on what you can do to be better every day so that we can reach more people and we can create a great community of living a better life and being better versions of ourselves. Here we go. Welcome, Dr. Tim Yen. Thank you so much for having me. Yay! Okay, so I always like to start with the story of how people got to where they are. Please give us your story on how you got to be a clinical psychologist and how it took you to writing your book. Sure. So backstory, I never actually wanted to be a psychologist. In fact, I didn't know psychologist was a thing in high school. Yeah, I didn't know it existed. Uh, I actually wanted to be a journalist out of high school, wanted to do something like what we're doing now, some sort of radio or or, or news anchor, I think was my dream job then. Uh And then I wanted to go to college, but didn't want to pay for it. So I decided to enlist in the army out of high school, but realized that I was severely colorblind. So apparently you need color vision to report the news. So they- You do. Yeah, that's a thing. Why? (laughs) Maybe you can't tell the you're you're on the air color. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. It's it's a mystery to me. But so they're like, you can't be a journalist. So there's only six jobs left that don't need color vision. 
and mental health was one of them. And this was your high school counselor telling you this? This was the recruiter. Okay. I was already at the, the MEP center ready to enlist. And I find out through that process, I couldn't pick the job I wanted to enlist for. Oh my gosh. So some quick maneuvering and mental health specialist sounded like the next best thing. Uh-huh. And I thought it was a total sham job, to be honest. I was like, oh, you'll pay me to like chit chat with people? Right. Done. Where do I sign? Of course, as I got into it, it was a, a lot more involved than mm-hmm. I pictured and found it to be really meaningful work in, in the military. And so I decided, hey, I want to get fully equipped, go to school so I can be the healer that I want to be. And that's what led me into being a psychologist. So and cool. fast forward, I realized that with all the people I've worked with, there's a kind of certain themes that have been mm-hmm. coming up that have been helpful in people finding their identity and their authentic voice. And I put it together in a book to help people beyond my office uh, make better decisions. Yeah, I feel like we all need it. I mean, I feel like I am so indecisive. I'm so indecisive. And when you were talking about the types of people, I felt like, you know, there were times when I went back and forth and I'll, we'll get into those types of people, but, but I just feel like I am so indecisive. So this is definitely a book for me. I was so excited to, <laughs> to hear that you had written it because it, it, it just speaks to me so loudly. So thank you. I'm so glad your path led you to where you are today and you were inspired to write Choose Better. So thank you. You mentioned in the book, there's two types of people that you wrote the book for. Can you get into those two types of people? Yes. So the first one, as you alluded to, was indecisive people, people who get really paralyzed by decisions, kind of overwhelmed by all the options that are available, wanting to choose the best one, but a lot of self-doubt as to if that is the best one. People who are dare I say, people pleasers. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people who really live for social approval one way or another. And so their own voice disappears in the background because it's not about what they want. It's about what other people want. So that's one category, people who have a really difficult time making decisions. And then there's a second category, (laughs) which is people (laughs) uh, who have no problem making a decision. You're just regrettable ones. Not, mm. not great decisions, but they're a bit impulsive, maybe a bit emotional. And they, they make a decision based on how they feel in the moment, but it's not anchored into other important factors for decision making. Mm-hmm. And those are the two groups of people that my book speaks to. Yeah, and everyone in between. Yeah, right. Because you, I know at some point, you at one point you talked about how you can be both of those people in different parts of your life. Like you're not always going to be always the indecisive and you're not always going to be the person who makes the poor decisions. You can be both, right? So for anyone out there who was like, oh, that's me yesterday, but today I'm thinking on this, you can be both of those people. So this book is is great for everybody. Absolutely. I, I wanted to share a little quote that I found that I thought was great from your book. And it you stated... Knowing better doesn't always translate into doing better. Not knowing better, however, will often contribute into doing worse, which I was like, yes. I I mean, 
obviously my podcast is called Better Etc. for a reason. You know, I want to be able to help people do better because they'll know better so that hopefully they won't do worse. <laughs> yes. And as aspirationally, choose better. So yes, if we can prevent doing worse, that's definitely a, a good start. Yes. But at least having the option to choose better, that's really where my heart is. Yes, I love it. And and I think that you are helping people do that in your book. So thank you. I mean, besides just your clients that you see on a day-to-day basis, this book has the potential to help a lot more people than just who you would see. Tell me why did you write the book? What gave you the inspiration? I know you have clients that you you mentioned. Um, that's how you got to writing the book. But can you get into the details of why you wrote the book? Yeah, so I had the pleasure of sitting down with a friend who is a executive member of her tech company. So mm-hmm. she's, she's a big deal in Taiwan. And uh, we sat down, a, a partner of mine, we're in business together. We, we wanted to serve her company. And, and how can we do some consulting work, some training work? So we asked this big boss, hey, what is something of value that we could really bring to your company? What's that one topic that we can start with? And she pointed out critical thinking. How can you help my employees think better? How can you help my managers, my supervisors, my employees think better? Because it's a fast-paced world. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of stressors, deadlines, specialties that compete with one another. Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks their idea is the better idea, which sometimes does not go well together. She's like, how can I help them make faster decisions, Mm -hmm. better decisions so that we can be on the same page and move forward together. So that's what really inspired me. I was thinking along the lines of helping these people in her company, but then I started putting some ideas together for my book and I realized this is kind of a humanity thing. It's not a a tech company thing. So that's when I made the, the lens a little bit broader than just helping her company. Yeah, I'm glad you realized that because you're so right. I think that all of us can can benefit from being able to make better decisions, not poor choices. And I mean, even for my kids, would you ever consider doing one for children? <laughs> hey, the sky's the limit in, I mean, in terms right? of where this can go. Yeah, yes. I mean, helping parents to be able to help their kids make better choices and understand why they're making better choices. I use that phrase. I have used that phrase for so long. I remember using it when Mm -hmm. my kids were in preschool. You know, you need to make good choices. No matter what your friends are doing, you need to make good choices. So if I can give them the framework to make better choices, they'll be better humans in the long run. And we all will be, you know, if we are And the people around them. Yeah. Their friends will appreciate it. Their future spouses will appreciate it. The people they work with would appreciate it. Yes. Yes. So do you think that we can use what we're going to talk about today for our kids, even if it's not, you know, directed at our kids? Oh, absolutely. Because the way that I present the framework, it's for children to be able to understand. It's very accessible. You don't need to be scholarly to understand these four principles at all. So if a child understands it, I think our hit rate's pretty good for adults to understand it as well. Yeah, (laughs) you would hope. (laughs) I would hope, yes. In the book, you say that making mistakes is part of the process of becoming an optimal decision maker. Can you explain why mistakes are a good thing? 
first of all, mistakes get a really bad rep. And we're in this strange optimization, perfectionistic culture where mm-hmm. we want to optimize our time and we don't want to make mistakes because in our mind, mistakes means a setback. We're, we're wasting time because we didn't get this outcome that we were striving so hard for. And what I've realized in life, I wouldn't say I'm a wise sage or I've lived a long time, but in my short time here on earth, what I figured out is there are some lessons that I could not have learned unless I made that mistake. I I would not have had the exposure to know any better. And sometimes I'm stubborn, so I need to learn the lesson a few times. Mm -hmm. It comes up on a loop because I didn't learn it the first time. And that means that making that mistake was the only way that I could have learned this particular lesson. So I want to reframe mistakes as experiences and give people the courage to to move forward and, and make a call. Of course, I'm not saying make a mistake on purpose and, right. and do it intentionally, which I guess I'm not sure if that would be a mistake anymore. It's, it's, it's a very intentional choice that's being made. They may not like the consequences, I suppose. That's what makes it a mistake. Right. But we are going to make different choices that have outcomes we either didn't anticipate or just not the outcomes we wanted. And I want to normalize that, that that is part of what it means to be human. That's what it means to be living life. And if there was another way, then you would have chosen the other way. But sometimes there is no other way, but making a choice, the best choice you possibly could have in the moment and have some self-compassion, some grace for yourself when that happens. Yes, I fully agree. I mean, especially as a parent, you know, I keep going back to parenthood, but when my kids were way younger, you know, they're 11 and 13 now, I feel like I would always coddle them and I didn't want them to get hurt or I didn't want them to make those mistakes. And now I've learned that that is the only way that they're going to learn is by making their own mistakes instead of mommy being there to pick them up or keep them from from falling down. If they fall down, then they know that they got to watch the curb, you know? <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, that is that is actually so wise, I think. Mistakes are an important part of life. Um, I really wish that we wouldn't be so hard on the people who make the mistakes because we are all human and everyone makes them. So why not have some compassion for the people who do make them and then just continue to move forward. But, you know, at least knowing that mistakes can be a good thing and helpful in, you know, our future lives is awesome. Absolutely. I'm thinking when we have that mindset that everyone is doing the best that they can Mm -hmm. with what they know in the moment, we would be more gracious to other people. So that was one thought. The other thought was with our kids, of course, there's a there's a spectrum. There's a balance. Some parents are a little bit too hands-off. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they'll figure it out. And I'm like, well, that's just not good training. That's just not good parenting because <laughs> you're yeah. not doing anything. You're just letting them like fend for themselves and the wolves. I'm like, ah, that's, right. that's not great parenting. But then there is the other extreme, as you said, which is cr- trying to create this environment where they can never get hurt, never be disappointed. And that's not really the most loving thing either, because they won't make it. 
outside yeah. of you. Unless you want your kids to be attached to your hip until they're 40, right. even then they wouldn't be able to leave, I suppose. We, we do, there are certain lessons that we need our kids to experience firsthand. It might be painful, it might be disappointing and sad. And it, and it breaks our hearts as a parent to like see that happen for our kids. I suppose that's what they call tough love, which is knowing the the bigger picture that this will make them tougher. It will help them understand this is what they need to do to make better choices. And it will stick with them for a long time because it's an experience. It's not a concept, right? Like, like, oh, you should do that. And the kids are like, okay, mom, but... But why? I don't really understand why. Oh, that's why. Yeah, right. Mommy does know something. She's right. smarter than she looks. Yeah, yeah that, I that don't was know. A... My kids wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> They're tweens and teens, so, you know. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. Can you take us through some of the reasons that people make poor decisions? Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> there, there are so many reasons that, that I outlined the book, but I would say some of them are either bad predictions. Some people are going off of very little information or incorrect information. So they're making a decision based on not reality, not, mm-hmm. not facts, and therefore it doesn't work out. Sometimes people make bad decisions simply because they either grew up in a dysfunctional family or had had a lot of negative experiences where that became the normal for them. And sometimes that informs how they see themselves. I know this gets really psychological and deep, but sometimes people, they don't think they deserve better, but they would never think that consciously, but in their experiences, maybe they've been treated in that manner. Mm -hmm. And so they make these decisions that really matches what they feel is familiar not good they would never admit that they like what's happening but it's what's familiar and what's that saying better better in bed with the devil you know than than the one you don't some something to that effect yeah (laughs) it's kind of that idea and so people end up making these choices what i endearingly call uh, self-sabotage type behaviors they're their own worst enemy. They're the ones that are sending themselves to lose, mm-hmm. which is super sad. And until they realize that's what's happening, that's going to continue to happen. So, so those are some of the reasons. Uh, I can get into a long list of them. But yes, those are the top two I can think of off the top of my head. For the people who tend to self-sabotage, how can you stop doing that? How can people out there recognize that that and and they might recognize it in the moment or at least afterwards but how do they prevent themselves from self-sabotaging a good starting place is understanding what need are they trying to fulfill and is there a healthier way to fulfill it Mm -hmm. because the decisions that we make i mean none of us are doing it just on happenstance, we're just doing it for funsies, right? Like, no, we we make choices because there's some sort of need that we're trying to meet, Mm -hmm. some sort of approval, it could be uh, comfort, whatever it may be, security. And we make these choices, but not in the right way or or not in a way that does not come with 
some real consequences that you may not want to pay for. Mm -hmm. And in understanding, hey, why do I do these things? Why do I make these choices? What is the need that I'm trying to fulfill? And when people are able to verbalize, hey, like this is what I am aiming for, then we can begin brainstorming, okay, well, I've been going back to the same guy over and over again, and he's not, he, he gives me the need temporarily, but he always throws me to the side, like afterwards, right. okay, maybe I need a different strategy on how to meet this need in a different way. So that's just a really important conversation to have either with yourself, with a counselor, with mm -hmm. a close friend, family. Sometimes that kind of awareness is a great first step to stopping these self-sabotaging behaviors. Do you think that people who self-sabotage have a lower self-esteem? Because I'm just, I'm thinking about, this is silly, but thinking about people who have been on The Bachelor and they've used that term, self-sabotage, and they, they do something that they regret later because they don't feel that they're worthy of love. Is that a reason why people self-sabotage, do you think? It seems to be the most logical conclusion, the, the more that we talk about it. And let's let's talk about the word self-esteem. Like, wh what does self-esteem mean? Mm -hmm. It's like a buzzword that we throw out. Like, oh, I hope my kid has good self-esteem. But, but what is self-esteem? The word esteem means to value, mm -hmm. right? It means to uphold, to, to, to value. Self is the direction, right? So do I value myself? And... When people do things that are regrettable, my guess is it doesn't reflect self-respect, self-dignity, uh, value. So the short answer would be yes. Is there other reasons why people self-sabotage? I'm sure there are, mm -hmm. but that's definitely a, a runner-up. It's up there. Yeah. I would love to now get into what you have called the framework. It's, it's a protocol that helps people to be able to make better decisions. So that's kind of the meat and potatoes of why I wanted to have you on today is to help people be able to make better decisions after listening to this podcast. So can you get into what the framework is specifically and how we can use it to make better decisions? Absolutely. So the framework is meant to be something that's simple. Mm -hmm. My whole thing is we can talk ideas and kind of cute things that could be used, but if it's not readily accessible, then it's useless to you. So I wanted to create a framework because when we're stressed and overwhelmed, the last thing we want to do is overthink yeah. and get paralyzed by, by what's happening. So that is the idea behind a framework is uh, I equate it to a fire drill. You know, fire drills... Uh, you know, as children, I don't know if adults still do it. Maybe. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> like teachers in schools. Yeah, for sure. There you go. Yeah. So why do we have fire drills? Well, we have fire drills because we don't want people to be thinking about their options when the building's on fire. Mm -hmm. Not a great time to be thinking. It's, it's a great time to be doing. But the question is, what do you do? Well, we don't want panic. We don't want children trampled when they are running door to door. So the fire drill is something that when everything is calm and there's no fire, people know exactly what to do. Calmly get in a single file line, go outside to the field, mm -hmm. you know, be under Mrs. Smith and they get a head count, right? So children get ingrained because we want them to do better when 
emotions and, and chaos ensues, that's going to be best for everyone. So yeah. that is what the framework is. The framework is, okay, if I'm faced with a challenge, a problem, okay, what is step one? What's mm-hmm. step two? What's step three? What's step four? That's the idea behind using the framework. Okay, so let's jump into what it is. So the framework is really a series of four questions. And I'm going to give the the simplified version. Of course, in the book, it gets into detail as to what each of these questions really mean. But for a broad overview, this is what it is. So I, I call them the four pillars, right? So pillar number one is the emotions question, which is, what are my feelings telling me right now? Mm-hmm. What are my feelings telling me right now? I start with that because we feel things much faster than we think things. And it's <laughs> it's, 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 it's survival. It, it is a built-in part of our limbic system, which is a part of our brain that tells us if there's danger, get the heck out or, or fight it off. It, it's so fast, in fact, that it hits our brain at about a tenth of a second. That, that's how fast these signals get hit in our head. And mm-hmm. so we want to acknowledge that there are feelings that we have and they're trying to tell us something important. Mm-hmm. And depending on people's cultural upbringings, sometimes feelings are a bad word. Yeah. <laughs> like you shouldn't feel things. Right. Except for happy. You can feel happy. Yeah, that's about it. You can feel happy. <laughs> are Can't you speaking really from personal th- experience? <laughs> My family was okay. I, I think they, well, anger is probably not acceptable growing up. Yeah. And that, that was probably the one that wasn't super acceptable. But depending on the culture, right, sometimes feelings don't have a place at yeah. the table. Yeah. And, and that's the first thing that I challenge is pillar one is feelings are your friends. They're trying to tell you something important you may want to listen to it. Yes. So in my book, I, I highlight some, what we call the seven universal feelings, and each one has a message. For example, anger. Anger is an emotion that we feel when something is unfair or uh, injustice, something is wrong. So anytime there's something that we perceive as being unfair or wrong, anger is something that we would feel. So then the million dollar question is, what about the situation feels unfair or it seems to be wrong to me. And that is a very productive conversation rather than I feel really angry and I just want to break stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, by all means, you can. That is a choice you can make, but it doesn't really get to the heart of what your brain's trying to tell you Mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. So so that's the first part is, is understanding your feelings and what they're saying to you and... Many times we have more than one feeling. That's where it gets really complicated. It, it's like 33% jealousy, maybe 50% anger, and you know, like a sprinkle of sadness. So we're, we're kind of complicated as, as people. Mm-hmm. So taking the time to, to identify these are the feelings at play and each feeling has a message for you. That those are critical data points to consider in your decision-making. Any questions about that before I go on to the next pillar? I guess, you know, in the moment when you are so revved up or emotional, it's hard, I feel like, sometimes to truly understand or to put your emotions aside and figure out why you're having them. Are there any simple ways that we can get to the heart of why we're feeling what we're feeling when we're feeling what we're feeling? 
So the more explosive feelings, what I would say is behavioral wise, to not react Mm. would be your best friend. Meaning that, because again, if we're going back to anger, which seems to be the most problematic one because it's so overt and people get hurt in the process when you're feeling some of these feelings, the most loving thing that you can do is actually step aside, let people, whoever you're interfacing with saying, hey, like I'm really upset right now. I just need 20 minutes to to kind of gather myself and and be away from whatever is triggering this anger. And everyone will thank you. Your boss, your kids, whoever. They'll yeah. they'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please like go to your room, take a hot shower, whatever you need to do, it's all good. And and I think that it is so important to take those breaks to let that fight or flight system in your brain calm down because when you're surrounded by things that are safe like your room or you know just some other place away from the perceived danger or harm then your brain has to recalibrate and realize okay whatever you're feeling it feels really urgent like you should do something right now but 99 out of 100 times it's really not that urgent it could totally wait a few minutes and you'll probably get better outcomes by waiting and, and, and asking yourself these questions through the framework. That's my hope for people is what do you do? Well, get to a place where you're able to calm down and, and start sorting through the framework because Mm -hmm. that will give you really valuable data points to help you make your next choice. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And now back to the conversation. It's interesting that you talk about this because our anger, because in a recent podcast that I did with Ryan Haddon, she's a life coach and spiritual coach. And she talks about dealing with anger and she talked about tapping, Mm -hmm. which I thought was genius. I had never heard of it. And then also when you're angry, like we usually don't have a way to express that, or a lot of us don't feel that we have a way to express it. So it probably builds up and then explodes later on. And she was saying in a lot of, I don't know necessarily rehab facilities, but they, they take what I can't remember what it's called. It's like a baton and you basically just like hit your pillow with it. So it's like somewhere where you can release your anger and get it out. If you don't have the ability to escape. Like if you're in your car and you're angry, you don't have the the chance to go to your room and take a shower. Or if you're at work and you're in the middle of a meeting, you know, like actually being able to calm those feelings down. I feel like the tapping especially. And just that as I learned over this podcast, the inner dialogue, when we're talking to ourselves, if you talk to yourself like you talk to your kids or you talk to a friend, like you can tell yourself internally, listen, it's okay. You're angry right now and you have every right to be, but let's talk about it later when you have you when you're in a safe place or something like that, you know, like being able to talk to yourself internally like you would talk to a friend, I feel like has been really helpful for me. That's really great. Internal dialogue is so important. It happens all the time, but we're not always aware if it's a friend, an ally, 
our worst or an enemy. And, and it's up to us what what kind of dialogue we have in our minds, because that could make or break us in terms of these moments that we're having. Yeah. And my, my other hope is that when when we use the framework, I, I talk about the framework in terms of a skill set, just like if you were to ride your bike or shoot a basketball, it's, it's something that is learned. It's a muscle that can be strengthened. So answering your question about, hey, like when you have these really visceral, strong, intense emotions, my hope is people will have these fire drills down pat where they can even respond in a way that honors their emotions in the moment, even. For example, if someone said something that was offensive, and you're feeling really heated about it, my hope is people are able to identify that emotion quicker Mm -hmm. than maybe they have before and be able to address it right there and then. Hey, like, I don't know if you meant to say it that way, but when you said that, it was kind of offensive. Mm -hmm. It it, it kind of hurt me when you said that. I don't know if that was your intention, but but that's how it came off. Wow, now we're talking about problem solving. We're not just I identify this emotion. What do I do with it? No, no, no. If, if anger, if that's the theme we're on, if, if anger is about injustice, well, the counter to that is justice, right? How, how do we make things right? How do we make things mutually respectful? And anger gives us the signal that something is not all right. And, and maybe it's my perception that's the issue and that needs to change. Or there's something that's really not right. Yeah. And, 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 and it needs to be addressed. And without that signal of this first pillar of the emotions, we wouldn't be able to tap into it and, and realize this is really at the heart of the issue. Yeah. Okay. So we got into the first pillar of the framework, which was emotion and how how you feel and why you're feeling the way you're feeling and getting to the bottom of that. So what's the second pillar? So the second one is values of self, which is what is meaningful, what is important to me. And every situation, every challenge, there are certain objectives, if you want to call it that, things that you want to accomplish because it's important to you. Mm-hmm. Other people may not care all that much, but you do, right? It's like family time. Why is family time so important? Well, it's because it, it's meaningful to me being together as, as a unit to be able to share experiences. Family is an important value. So when the family value gets challenged because your kids want to go over to their friend's house for the 10th night in a row, you're just like, wait, (laughs) hold up. What is happening right now? Why do I feel like that's really not okay? I want to be a cool parent, but something's something's not working for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, because what I value is family as a silly example. But but that's the, the second pillar, which is what is meaningful, what is important to me about this situation that needs to be addressed or at least emphasized. Mm-hmm. And, and I talk about this one next because your feelings will point to some of those values. You will not get angry or sad or, or disappointed unless something valuable to you was being violated. Right, true. <laughs> some, something isn't happening that you believe should happen or that is important to you. So that's the second pillar, which is breaking down, okay, why is this even a situation for me? Like, what is this thing that I'm trying to accomplish? And and being able to articulate that is extremely important as well. And, and And the next question people may have is, okay, so where do these values 
come from? Well, the values come from you. So, so part of the work is knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a longer road. There's no quick fixes. There's no simple answers. But it does take intentionality to know who you are. And when you know who you are, then you are able to identify what matters to you. And what I say in the book is that the good news is when you do the identity formation work in this personal growth journey, to be curious about yourself, to, 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 to understand, hey, these things matter to me. These are my preferences. Like when you start having that dialogue, the cool thing is you don't have to reinvent the wheel because those values are probably consistent across different situations. So in this situation, if if the family value was really important, it's probably going to be important in other situations as well. So you don't have to dig up like, what are my values for every single situation? It's pretty much the same ones. Uh It's the same ones that you care about. And when you know that that's what it is, you can then compare what's going on now to what's important to me. And we want to make sure that the decisions we make are aligned with those values. Got it. All right. So moving on to the third pillar and, and just backing up a little bit, these pillars are all part of the framework and the framework helps us make decisions. So that's why we're getting into details here. Okay. So what's the third pillar? So the third pillar talks about other people. So I call it the values of others, Mm -hmm. meaning what is important and meaningful for other people that are involved in this situation. Now, it's possible that the decision you're trying to make involves no one, but that's pretty rare. I I think most of the decisions that really matter that makes us stop in our tracks and think involve other people because, well, we don't live in a vacuum and hopefully you love people that you're around. So so you want to make sure that it is a win-win situation as much as possible. I know that that's not always the case, but at least having that aspiration. When I make this decision, hey, can I understand what's important for this individual? Uh, what do these people want out of this decision? You know, what, what do they care about? And when we start thinking from that standpoint, we're a little bit less selfish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're at least considering, hey, how can I create this win-win scenario so that I feel good about that decision as well? Like I get my needs met, but so do they. So that's the third pillar is asking that question. What are the values of other people? Great. What is the last pillar? So the last pillar I, I call the reality pillar. So okay. what is what it is? Like what, what are things that exist in this situation that have nothing to do with your opinion? Mm-hmm. It's just facts. And the example I always go back to is gravity. You don't have to understand gravity. You don't have to like gravity. But if you stepped off a really high cliff, you will drop because of <laughs> gravity and you may die unless you have a parachute. So, right. so, so gravity is a reality factor. There, there are certain things in our, in our world that are not up for negotiation. That's just what it is. School starts at 8 a.m. Unfortunately, you don't get to choose. I, I, I would really like it to be 9.30 though. So I can sleep in, the kids yeah. can sleep in. Well, that's cute and all. Like, that's great if you want it at 9.30, but it's at 8. So so there's certain things that we want to factor in to our decision-making, which is, okay, what are some variables that are kind of fixed? That, that That's just what is part of this scenario. 
so that I'm aware of that when I make that choice. So, so that's it. So that, that's the, the framework in a nutshell, right? Asking those four questions. Uh, what are my feelings trying to tell me? What's important to me about the situation? What's important to other people? And what are the reality factors involved in my situation? Through that process, most people start surfacing a couple options, right? We got options. Some options are better than others, but we got different options for what you can do. And once you have a few options, you're able to choose the optimal one based on the four pillars that you went through already. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to stick with this choice because of these reasons. I already went through these four pillars. And I have a chapter in my book that talks about courage mm -hmm. because just because you know better doesn't mean you'll do better. Yeah. And the that's kind of a crazy thought, but why, right? Why don't people do better if they know? They already thought this through, like it's the best choice, but they still don't pull the trigger. They, they still don't do the thing that they identified. Well, it's because there's other factors involved, fears, you know, assumptions, whatever the case may be. So courage is the invisible fifth pillar. It, it's not yeah. a data point, but it's something that we need in order for us to make that optimal decision. Oh, for sure. I feel like, especially for indecisive people like me, you know, you having the courage to maybe even stand up for yourself to make a decision. Like if someone were in an abusive relationship and they need to make a decision on whether or not they stay or they go, just having the courage to be able to make that decision for yourself is huge. I feel like that should be a fifth pillar. <laughs> Not it can be. <laughs> it can definitely be. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think courage is really important for anyone out there who is dealing with really difficult, especially decisions. Even the even the easy ones. You know, if you don't believe in yourself and you don't believe that you have the right to make a decision because you have low self-esteem, having the courage to just make the simple ones. Like, where do you go to dinner with your spouse? Like uh, even that comes up and it triggers me because I'm like, I don't want to make a choice of where to go to dinner. <laughs> Cuz you don't want to be wrong. Exactly. I don't what I don't want to happen is for us to go to this restaurant and it for it for it to be an incredibly awful experience like for us to have awful food awful service they don't have the time to get us in you know that's sometimes why I don't want to make the decision because if my husband isn't happy with where we go to eat or my kids aren't happy or whatever then it's my fault you know <laughs> mm. yeah let's talk about that real quick I mean it sounds like a silly situation I'm sure there's more pressing things that you have to for decide sure, on yes. besides where to eat dinner, but let's use that as an example because the the fear or, or the indecision really has to do with responsibility. Like you don't want to take the responsibility or be the, the scapegoat of blame for right. something that is not in your control, right? You can't control the waiters. You can't control the fact that you picked a restaurant that everyone and their moms thought would be a great idea to go to <laughs> right. on a Saturday night, whatever the case may be. And, and I think part of that is being able to spell out the expectations, perhaps, when you make that decision. So, so maybe this one's for you, Trista, Thanks. which is like, hey, I'm, I'm going to make a call on a, on a restaurant and there's no guarantees as to what kind of experience we'll have. But hey, 
it's going to be a new experience if it's a new restaurant, right? Or it's going to be our experience. Maybe it may not be, you know, top of the line, three-star Michelin restaurant service, but hey, we're together. Like that's really what matters. And if anyone wants to veto this choice and someone feels more strongly about going somewhere else, then hey, like I'm, I'm open to suggestions. No, honey, we can't go to McDonald's again. Yeah. <laughs> anyone else? Anyone else have a, a good idea? Right. So, so I think when people are, are aware, like, hey, these things that are outside of your control, you are not responsible for those aspects. You can take ownership and be like, hey, I did choose that restaurant next time, you know, in terms of wisdom to be gleaned. Mm-hmm. All right. Next time, I should probably take a look at how popular this place is and noted we'll go on Wednesday night not Saturday night. So so there may be things you'll learn in that process. But to make sure that, hey, you're not holding yourself responsible for things that you're not responsible for. Got it. That is that that unnecessary guilt that we heave on ourselves. And and I just, I just don't know why. Like, life is hard enough. Like, why would we add this, this type of unrealistic standard for ourselves to be able to control everything and that's no kidding it's just impossible it is impossible and i have to say that it's not like people do blame me if we go to a restaurant that doesn't end up being a wonderful experience i just put that on myself because i want to be you you know i want it to be perfect i i don't want anyone to be unhappy i want everyone to be happy and fulfilled and and full, you know, and, <laughs> and, and to have a good experience. So it's not like my husband or my kids would blame me for something like that. It's just something that I put on myself. So I need to be better about that. For, for the record, right? Trista has a beautiful family that's very patient, <laughs> yes. very understanding, just for the record. For it's the record, Trista. let me just specify. <laughs> Don't come after Ryan for being mean to me when we go to the wrong restaurant. <laughs> there it is. But I, I think it's also important to honor your intentions, mm. too. And, and saying that, hey, like, I wanted this night to be perfect. Like, I, I wanted everyone to be full and everyone to have a good time. And quite frankly, I was disappointed. Like, it, it didn't work out the way that I wanted pillar number one, right? Like honoring those emotions and saying, hey, like they're there, whether you like them or not, like they're there. And and that's so important for that self-compassion work and say, hey, like I had the best intentions. It totally didn't go the way that I thought. (laughs) And and I'm a little bit bummed about that. And, And that's okay. Yeah. And I think you're getting into what I think also is really important um, is just communicating, you know, communicating with the people around you that are involved in the decision and saying, you know, I don't know if this is going to be the greatest spot to go to eat, but we're going to do it together. We're going to have an adventure and we're going to make it a good experience. So at least if you put that out there and explain and communicate to the people who are involved then maybe the guilt won't be there as much and you won't be as concerned with, you know, what the outcome is. That's a good takeaway. Give it a shot. See if you feel less guilty when you communicate your intentions. Give it a shot. I love it. Okay, this has been awesome. I love this framework. I think this will help so many people, especially me. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Indecisive. So I just have one more question and it's a question that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. How, Dr. Yen, do you hope to be better tomorrow? I want to use my own framework more consistently, for sure. And 
being able to articulate my intentions and, and my values and keeping that as my North Star in all the decisions that I make. And when something feels kind of off, to listen to those feelings because chances mm-hmm. are it's misaligned with something that is of greater importance. So that is how I want to continue to better myself. I love it. This has been so great. I mean, it's just so simple. I have, I honestly, in in most of my podcasts, I feel like the most simple of, and not to say that your book isn't a great book. I think it's just, it lays it out so simply for us to follow. And sometimes to me, the most simple methods are the most genius, you know? So thank you for sharing what I feel like are very simple methods for all of us to be able to make better choices. Oh, and one last question. How can people find you? So if they want to contact me, they can go on my website, which is www.timyen.com. I also started a Instagram very recently to support this book. It's called Choose Better Consulting, uh-huh. uh, which is a, a business firm that I'm in the midst of building right now. So I have different quotes from the book and kind of author insights behind some of those quotes. That's great. So if you want to follow, I'm more than happy to have you along for the journey. And other social media things are on my website as well. And you can buy the book anywhere, I assume, right now. Anywhere, but Amazon's probably the most popular. Yes. You can buy it on Amazon.com. Yes, of course. Okay, well, thank you so much, Tim. It was a pleasure having you. And thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much, Trista. Had a great time. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. I hope you feel a little better after having listened. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you're enjoying our show, please send it to a friend and put a little better into their lives. Also, if you would like to find me, you can go to Instagram at Trista Sutter or Facebook at Trista Sutter Fan Page. Thanks, everybody, and have a great day.